We're looking this morning at John chapter 20 again as we see a few more appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. That last week on Easter Sunday, we saw Jesus appear to Mary Magdalene, but he has not yet appeared to his disciples. And so this morning in John's gospel, we're going to be looking at Jesus's first appearance to his disciples, though we will see next week that it was not the 11 of them minus Judas. It was the 10 of them minus Judas and Thomas, that Thomas was not there. And so we'll see about that next week. But today we are looking at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. If you would open up your Bibles or the bulletin, let us hear the Word of God this morning. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious God, we give thanks for your word and that you do speak to us and that your word does indeed carry with it your authority. I do not speak out of my own authority, but Lord, you speak when your word speaks. And so, God, we pray that you would speak today through your word. I pray that you would use me in spite of my own sinfulness and frailty to proclaim your word faithfully and clearly and that you, O oh God, would give us ears to hear and open hearts and minds that we would be gladdened by your word, that we would rejoice and that we would be given that same promise of peace unto us. And so, Lord, speak through your word this day in Jesus name. Amen. It's a relatively short passage this morning. Not a whole lot happens. In fact, we probably have a whole lot of questions about, hey, what else happened? You know, you guys were there. It's the first time you've seen each other, but we don't get a lot of that. We really get just a couple things. We, we hear that Jesus brings something to his disciples, and then he sends them for a mission, and he also gives them authority with this mission. That's, that's really the very basics of what's happening. And so I want us to see first how Jesus brings good news to his disciples. And so our passage picks up sometime on that evening of Easter Sunday, the morning where the tomb was empty. We read last week that John and Peter had visited the empty tomb and maybe other disciples did as well. John doesn't tell us. But by evening, they are all gathered together somewhere in Jerusalem. And they have locked the doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. 
I guess in their minds, they figured that if the Jewish leaders succeeded in having killed Jesus, they may try to finish the job, so to speak, and get rid of his closest followers. But then even though the doors are locked, John tells us that Jesus came and stood among them. John doesn't tell us if Jesus walked through the wall somehow. John doesn't tell us if he materialized in the room. We don't know how. We just know that somehow Jesus was physically present in his resurrected body in that room. And the first words out of his mouth were meant to put the disciples at ease. Peace be with you. It was a common greeting for the Jews. It was shalom. But this was not a common moment. In fact, you could imagine that the disciples might be a little concerned about what Jesus might have to say. One commentator writes that Jesus could have simply said, shame on you. After all, the disciples ran away and Peter repeatedly denied even knowing Jesus. Jesus might have been mad at them for not expecting this resurrection. They could have expected a scolding, and yet Jesus says, peace be with you. And after these opening words, he shows them his hands where the holes of the nails had been. He shows them his side where the spear had pierced him on the cross. He's showing, I am not a ghost. I am not a hallucination. I am really Jesus, the same Jesus that you have followed for the last three years. And when they see Jesus, we are told they are filled with gladness. That even though Jesus died, he is alive again. And the horrors of Friday, the sadness of Saturday, they have given way to the joy of Sunday. And even though the disciples did not fully understand what all of this meant, that Jesus was alive, we can see what John is trying to convey through his writing. We see that Jesus brings good news of peace to his disciples after completing his sacrificial work on the cross. He shows them this is what gives you peace with God. My wounds and my victory. It is through my blood, through what I have done, that you now have peace with God. And they are filled with gladness. Gladness that they do truly have peace. The disciples on that first Easter evening were getting their first taste of good news and they were filled with peace and gladness that comes through knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen. But like Mary Magdalene last week was told, don't cling to Jesus, so also our disciples are now given a mission. They are told to deliver a message. See, Jesus does not just give them peace. He gives them a message of peace that will bring peace to others. So that after they are filled with gladness, Jesus says, peace be with you. He says it again. And he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, we need to be very careful here. This does not mean that the disciples are sent in exactly the same way for exactly the same purpose. We are not supposed to make atonement for the sins of other people. Jesus did that. We are not supposed to do miracles and claim to be the Son of God. 
Jesus did that. That's not our job. Rather, we are sent to proclaim what Jesus was sent to do and what He has now done. And that means our primary mission, what we have been sent and commanded to do, is to proclaim the Gospel message of forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. That is the primary mission we have been given. The primary message that we are to share. Now, does that mean that's all we're allowed to do? No. There's lots of other things we're supposed to do. We should love our neighbors. We should care for the poor. We should seek justice for the oppressed and the marginalized. We should stand for truth and righteousness. We should do all sorts of other things the Bible commands as good, but our divinely given mission is to make disciples of Jesus by proclaiming to people that peace with God is found in the cross. After all, we are told in the Gospel of Matthew why Jesus is named Jesus. Because He will save His people from their sins. That is what Jesus came to do. And that primarily is what we are sent to do, to tell others with gladness of the peace we have with God because of Jesus and how that peace can be theirs too. This is what it means to be evangelical. It's a word we hear a lot today. A word that has come to mean other things like affirming conservative values or voting Republican or being white middle class. That is not what evangelical means. Evangelical literally means good news or person of good news. And so to be evangelical means to share the good news of peace with God through Jesus Christ. And we, Bethel, are a congregation in the denomination called the EPC, Evangelical Presbyterian Church, which means we try to emphasize that our job as Christians is to share the good news. Which means me, the total authority and boss of everyone here, according to Harmony, that, that my job is to equip you to know the good news, to receive it with gladness, and to be ready to share it with others so that they too would come to believe in Jesus. Because that's our primary job as believers. That we come here each week in part for many things, but one thing we should be here for is to be equipped to know the good news, receive it with gladness, and be ready to share it with others that we would fulfill the command of Christ to share the good news. And that is a great job, folks. Like, sign me up for that. That is better than helping a kid with a jump rope. That is better than obeying a teacher doing something else. Jesus has given us a really good command to obey. It's just a hard one. It's difficult. And so Jesus sends us out with the Holy Spirit. We read that in verse 22. It says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus had already taught his disciples about the importance of the Spirit's power and presence. That back in chapters 14 through 16, we had numerous references about how the Spirit would equip those disciples and all of the future followers of Jesus for our ministry and our mission. And here, Jesus is kind of like reminding the disciples, hey, 
the Spirit's important. You need the Spirit to do these things. That we need the Spirit for our mission as messengers. But some of you might be listening to this and wondering, how, how does this fit together with the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost? Because Jesus is like, oh. and Pentecost was a bit noisier than that. Well, guess what? You're, you're not alone if you're wondering how this fits together. Many throughout church history have been like, what, what is happening here? And I'd love to give you the authoritative, here is the absolute right answer. I'm just going to go with one really good explanation that I like. And it seems like Jesus is kind of doing a sort of acted parable, like the foot washing he did in John chapter 13, where when he washed their feet, he said, unless I wash your feet, you have no share with me. Well, I think we can realize that he didn't literally mean, if I don't wash your feet. The washing was pointing to something else that was symbolized there. And the same thing seems to be happening with the Spirit. That this breathing out of the Spirit, rather, being the, rather than being the full giving of the Spirit, is kind of the warm-up, the foretaste, the movie trailer for Pentecost to come. Because we see that they're not ready to get started until Pentecost. This is just kind of a, hey, remember the Spirit. And this breathing of the Spirit is very reminiscent of our Old Testament reading from Genesis 2 when God created Adam by breathing into him the breath of life. That here we see Jesus showing us the importance of the Spirit. That the new life that he brings comes when the Holy Spirit enters us. Just like Jesus said in chapter 3 to Nicodemus, that unless we are born again by the Spirit, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, we are living in this new age of the kingdom of God, and the Spirit works through messengers like us who have had new life breathed into us so that the Spirit works through the Word, breathing new life into others as we proclaim the good news of peace with God through the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. That's what we are sent for. We are filled with the Spirit, sent out to proclaim this kingdom, this peace with God. We have been given this message, and we are sent with authority. That's what we see in verses 23. It says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, at first glance, that doesn't sound great. It sounds kind of like the part in Matthew 18 where it said binding and loosing, those words we don't use a whole lot, but essentially if you say that you're forgiven, you're forgiven. If you say you're not forgiven, you're not forgiven. It sounds like Jesus is giving his authority to these disciples and saying, all right, you guys decide who gets forgiveness. If we understand the words of Jesus in that way, then we see the authority residing in the apostles themselves or in their office of leaders. But Jesus is not giving authority to his disciples, to church leaders, or to any followers to decide for ourselves, your sins are forgiven, yours aren't. Yes? No. That we do not have that unilateral authority. 
The authority does not reside in people like us or like the disciples. The authority of God resides in the Word of God. The authority is contained in the message, not the messengers. And so the good news message that we are given carries with it the authority of God. We are told to proclaim a royal decree from heaven that forgiveness of sins is available in Christ so that we can be made at peace with God. And as Kelly talked about in the children's message, we have authority to share that message. It isn't just that guy talking up here says you need to be forgiven. It's God says we need forgiveness. We can think about it like the coach who tells one player on the team, hey, i got to finish things up over here. Go tell the team to run laps. You know, I mean, I'm not going to listen to my teammate tell me to run laps. But if coach says we got to run laps, then that's a different thing. I don't want to be caught not running laps because I'm just going to run laps all practice. Similarly, the good news needs to be received with the authority it brings. And it needs to be received with gladness like the disciples received it. And for those who do receive the good news with gladness, when they believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their sins truly are forgiven. And we have the authority to say that because you are believing in this royal decree. But for anyone who rejects this good news, anyone who does not receive this forgiveness, they will be judged by God for not hearing his authoritative message from his commissioned messengers. And so here, what we see is this authority being tied to the Word of God and entrusted to messengers for salvation. That we are given the authority of the Word, not ourselves, but it resides in the Word, and we can proclaim the good news saying, yes, if you believe you are saved, if you do not believe you are not saved. But this principle of the authority being tied to the word comes out in other places in the life of the church today as well. And I think it would be helpful to highlight a few of them to see how this principle works itself out. First, we see the authority of God's word in the assurance of pardon. So each Sunday we join together and we confess our sins. We acknowledge our sins together And we know that our sins stand between us and God. But how do we know they're forgiven? How can we be sure that when we say, God, please forgive me, that we actually have forgiveness? One way, one very important way is we hear the assurance of pardon. It is a word taken directly from Scripture, a promise assuring us that God does forgive the sins of those who look to Him in Jesus Christ. And so when you hear the assurance of pardon each week, just don't hear it as the words of Levi or me or whoever else is up here saying it. Hear it as the Word of God assuring you that if you have looked to the Lord for forgiveness, if you have confessed your sins, be assured with the authority of God those sins are forgiven. And so that's one way we see God's authority in His Word play out in our church life today. The second way we see the authority of God's Word is through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. See, when I administer the sacraments, I try to very clearly communicate that these sacraments do not magically bless people 
regardless of the faith of the person. But sometimes I am so emphatic on that point that I can downplay the truth that the sacraments are actually given to bless us. See, sacraments are signs, as I usually talk about. They point us to Jesus. They point beyond themselves. But sacraments are also seals. Not cute aquatic creatures, but stamps of authenticity. And so, when someone is baptized, God's Word is proclaimed that this person belongs to the Lord now. That God puts His name on this person And that word is absolutely true for all who believe. That we can look at our baptism, whether it happened long ago or recently, and be encouraged that if we believe in Jesus, that baptism acts as a seal, as an authentic stamp of God's word saying, you who believe in Jesus belong to him. The same goes for the Lord's Supper. When we eat and drink, trusting in Jesus, we receive His blessings just as if His blessings were set before us like bread and wine. And by taking them, we realize His body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. And his, the sacraments declare with authority that you belong to Him. That the blessings He gives Go to you just like this food goes into you. It seals for you your faith that you can be assured that you are forgiven and in God. And so we see it in the sacraments. And a third way we see the authority of God's Word is in church discipline. That when God's leaders of His church faithfully apply the truth of Scripture, they can proclaim joy and peace to the repentant but also warn of the danger of judgment to the unrepentant. We saw that in our New Testament reading from Matthew 18, that Jesus gives His church the authority of the Word to apply the truth of God to people. And so if a person is sinning and unrepentant for that sin, if they are not striving against it, but indulging defiantly in it, the church is charged with applying the truth of God that says if we turn from Him and follow in sin and don't come back to Jesus, we are in danger of being cast out by God and shown to have never really belonged to Him. That's heavy stuff. And it is meant to be handled with great care and tenderness because we are all sinners. But discipline is needed to remind believers of the importance of forgiveness of sins. Discipline is a way of withholding forgiveness, not because we're angry with someone or we're holding some kind of grudge. Forgiveness is only rightly withheld from someone who refuses to repent, someone who has turned away from Jesus. Because we see in the parable that Jesus tells that we are always to be open to forgive. Peter's like, now how many times do I really have to forgive this guy? And Jesus essentially says, every time they seek it. And so, yes, while there may be discipline, while we might call people to correct them for their sin, we are always saying, come to Jesus where forgiveness is. You see, discipline is never the primary purpose of exercising authority. Jesus did not say, I am sending you forth 
to discipline people for their sins. That was not the great command we have been given. But it is an implication of it. For those who do not believe in Jesus and His saving work, there is no forgiveness. There is no peace with God. There is no gladness. But for all who do believe, who turn to Him in faith, knowing they are sinners, we get to hear Him say to us, peace be with you. That through these scars, through His life, His death, His resurrection, He has made us at peace with God. So hear the Word of God today as the Spirit opens your heart and minds to believe it. Hear the Word not as my Word, but as God's own Word with His own authority. Hear that Jesus lived and died and rose again for you, and that same Jesus sends His people in power to bring that peace and gladness to all others that they too would believe and receive the joy and gladness that we have in Christ. Let us go and do that and be evangelical in that way. Be people of good news. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have given us a message that carries with it great authority. We pray, O God, that the authority that resides in the message would never fill us with pride. That it would never lead us to look down on others. That it would never lead us to boast in ourselves. May the authority of that message humble us. May it humble us that poor sinners like us are given such an important message. Such a good message. And so God, we pray that as we receive the news with gladness, that we would also receive it humbly and share it humbly with others. We pray, Lord, for the leaders of this church that You would help us to lovingly shepherd the people here. To lovingly model the love of Christ. I pray that each and every one of us would have hearts open to forgive others many, many, many times for we have been forgiven so much in Christ. And help us, God, to be proclaimers of the peace that Christ has made that many more might believe and be glad with us. In His name we pray. Amen.